How is everybody? That's good. I'm well, thank you. You're well? Good. Well, greetings from Middle Tennessee. Many folks back home are praying for us, and I, I appreciate their prayers. Um, you know, this was, this was a tough week of um, preparation for me. Uh, I've already been asked, hey, there's no psalm today. Well, it was going to be a psalm, all right? Um, but that just wasn't working out. I was going to preach from Psalm 144, which I believe connects the idea of um, warfare, teach my hands to fight, right, down with playing instruments, right, that spiritual warfare and instruments and uh, God's faithfulness was in that passage, but uh, it just wasn't coming together in my head. And I kept thinking through um, the, uh, the quote that I gave you last week from Chesterton. Does anybody remember that one? Jesus promised his disciples three things. Do you remember what they are? One, that we would be completely fearless. That we would be absurdly happy and constantly in trouble. I don't know about you, but I I struggled with some of these concepts this past week. I shared this um, quote at work, and I had some people come and talk to me about it. Hey, I don't feel like I'm some of these things. And I said, well, you know, it's probably time to have a come-to-Jesus moment um, for all of us. We We all need that from time to time. But I got stuck on this idea of constantly in trouble. Constantly in trouble. Does anybody here have trouble? in your life, stress in personal relationships, health challenges, I mean the list goes on, right, economic uncertainty, social and political upheaval, there's, there's no lack of trouble in our life. And so I thought I would preach something that is a little, a little less heady, something a little more tangible that we can get our hands on. Something, well, uh, does everybody here know Keith Bradshaw, Elder Bradshaw from Heritage? When I used to preach there a lot, when I still lived in Illinois, he would always tell me on Saturday, you know, he'd see me kind of stewing on the sermon. He'd always say, tell us stories, Elder Evans. Tell us stories. And this is often what I hear from my kids um, when I am preparing sermons, they're like, Dad, we like it when you, when you tell us stories. So today, I'm going to tell you a story, and it's a good story. And it actually lines up perfectly with the things that I've been trying to teach you out of the Psalms. All right? So, let's do that. Let's everybody stand up. I'm going to read one short passage, and then I'll let you sit back down. And we're, we're just going to, we're going to head right off into this story. It's going to be great. So first, the word of the Lord. This is from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to read verse 17. We're going to be looking at 1 through 30 today, but I'm just going to read 17, and then I'll let you sit down, and we'll, uh, we'll start working on the story. Hear the word of the Lord. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them 
for the Lord is with you. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful to be gathered here as your people today. We pray that you would help us in this time to delight in your day. To raise our voices together in song. To read your word together. To hear your word. To sing your word. And to partake of your sacraments. Lord we pray that through the preaching of your word today. That your spirit would be active among us. That he would be leading us into all truths. And Lord today let us see you high and lifted up. Father, we pray that you also take this word and you will implant it in our hearts and that from the inside out you will be conforming us more and more into the image of your Son. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Can somebody get me some water? So the, the main thing that I've been focusing on the last couple sermons is this idea of hesed, right? We've talked about this. I've, I've had you say it for me because I can't do the thing in the back of my throat. Somebody can do that, right? Thank you. There's always somebody willing to do that. So I want to remind you that hesed shows up 249 times in the Old Testament. 249. Thank you. Half of those are in the Psalms which is why I've been camping in the Psalms, right? Because it's everywhere in the Psalms. And just to review this a little bit, I want to make sure we get this in our head. This, this word hesed is translated in the Old Testament as kindness, loving kindness, mercy, goodness, faithfulness, love, acts of kindness. And this is really a... a a bedrock or a foundational aspect to his character, to God's character, right? Truth, faithfulness, mercy, steadfastness, justice, righteousness, and goodness. And the, the classic text for this, um, we did last time, do you remember? We read through a large portion of Psalm 136 where it tells of God's mighty acts, and then we respond, and his mercy endures forever. And in this psalm, and in, in the idea of Hesed, it starts at creation, or from maybe even before time began, and it takes us all the way through the consummation of the ages. This idea of Hesed is foundational. It is a bedrock concept that we should all understand. Amen? We're going to look at that today in the context of this story of Jehoshaphat. Does everybody know the story of Jehoshaphat? Does everybody remember? Okay, well, well, we'll talk about it. Some of you are not raising your hands, so it's going to be a new story for you. It is a great story. Like I said, it's one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. So let's, let's start at, uh, at verse 1, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 and verse 2. And if you hear me 
pronounced names and it's not quite the way you think they're pronounced, that's probably because I'm saying it wrong. Just stick with the way you say it. In Missouri, we say things differently. All right. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they that are Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. All right, so what's going on here? Jehoshaphat is king, or Jehoshaphat. And there are these great armies that are coming into his land to attack him, right? And interestingly enough, we're not told why. Right? He, so he has, he has trouble, right? Constant trouble. Now, Jehoshaphat, it, it, it tells us um, in verse 3 and 4, I'll go ahead and read those, and Jehoshaphat feared. Jehoshaphat was afraid. And he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Now, in context, we talked about this this morning, right? That we need the context of the story. I want you to think about Jehoshaphat for a minute, right? He's king. He's a good king. He's not the greatest king, but he's a good king. He's removed the idols from the land, right? He's, he's given authority back to the Levites to be judges. And, and things are going well. So well, in fact, if you would, turn over to chapter 17 with me. Because when it says that uh, Jehoshaphat is afraid, we might think that he's unprepared to meet this challenge. He has three armies coming into his land. Chapter 17, verse 12, verse 12 tells us this. So Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful, and he built fortresses. And storage cities in Judah. He had much property in the cities of Judah. And the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. So he had an army. Okay? He had a big army. Let's keep reading. Somebody who's good at math, who's maybe taking notes, write down the numbers and then give me the total at the end. These are the numbers according to their father's houses of Judah, the captains of thousands, Adna, the captain, and with him 300,000 mighty men of valor. 300,000. And next to him was another captain. I'm just going to skip over all the names. With him, 280,000. 280,000. And next to him... Another who offered himself willingly to the Lord, and with him, 200,000 mighty men of valor. Of Benjamin, Eliada, a mighty man of valor, and with him, 200,000 men armed with bow and shield. And next to him, another 180,000 prepared for war. How many is that? It's over a million men. We're not talking about a small army here. King Jehoshaphat is ready. 
He's ready for this challenge, right? And then it says, these serve the king. Besides those the king had put in fortified cities throughout all Judea. So he has a million-man army. He has fortresses. He has storehouse cities. And he has garrisoned men in these fortresses. Jehoshaphat is ready. And yet it says he's afraid. It says he feared. There's an interesting element to this fear. It says, and he set himself to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat sees this trouble in front of him, and he wants to know, Lord, is it me? He proclaims a fast throughout all Judea. As a leader, all Judah. As a leader, he says, as a shepherd, he says, I need to know if this trouble is coming because of sin in my life. And I want my people to check themselves and see if it's because of sin in their life. So he proclaims a fast throughout all Judah. So then the next thing he does is he he gathers everybody together to do what? To ask the Lord's help. Judah's calling a fa- or Jehoshaphat's calling for a fast to make sure that they're not in sin before the Lord, and then he gathers everybody together to ask help. This is a man with a million-man army. Trouble comes. He declares a fast. Check and see if there's sin in the camp. He gathers everybody together, and then what does he do? He prays. And it's a good prayer. It's a covenantal prayer. He prays this concept of Hesed before the Lord. He repeats it back to him at verse 6 down through verse 12. He says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in, your, and in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? The covenantal references here, just, you know, just one after the other. And they dwell in it, the land, and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword or judgment, pestilence or famine, sounds like time we're living in, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple. And we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear us, And save. And now here are the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, and they now but they now turned on them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God. Will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. 
nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. This is a man of faith. We have no power against this great multitude. If the Lord's not with them, He knows they're done. It's just an amazing, amazing prayer. And then verse 13 tells us, Now all Judah, with their little ones, that means like their babies, their wives and their children, the children are like their descendants. They come by household. They came by families. They stood before the Lord. And they waited. Their leader prayed. They were gathered together. And they waited. And then verse 14 says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaizael, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. The Spirit moves. And the word of the Lord came. And this is what he told him. Starting at verse 15. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. So, Matt, I have to ask you, when you were preparing the uh, liturgy, was it just the next readings in line that we read today? Yeah. That's great. Ephesians 6, where we're just to stand in the armor of God, right? The Deuteronomy passage that talks about the Lord bringing him into the land, the God's sovereignty over the way those readings came through um, it's really amazing so in this passage do you see this do not be afraid you are not going to fight and do not be afraid your job is going to be to stand and see stand and see and how did they respond Verses 18 and 19. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Remember, we talked about this last time. 
singing loudly, right? Isn't that amazing? So it says here that they're to praise. We talked about this last time, too. This was the shouting praise. This had an element of we shine when we do this. And it also includes the loud instruments. Remember? This is... This is the work of the Levites. I I welcome you into that company. In Ephesians, when it tells us to stand in the armor of God, I believe that's a reference to the garb of the priest, the Levitical priest, when he works down through those items of clothing. So our job is to stand and to sing and to shout and to play our instruments loud. It's a good job you have. The word voice here is talking about human voices or instruments. The shofar is listed as a voice in some places. This can be thunder. These are great images as you're thinking of um, the Israelites standing before these armies with the shofar and the thunder and they're singing. But you know what? This is, this is for you. This is for the church of Jesus Christ. This is how we engage in battle. This is what we talked about last time. This is what we were going to talk about in Psalm 144. But God gave us a story that perfectly illustrates all of these concepts. So what happens the next day? They rose early in the morning, right? To embrace His mercy and compassion. Early in the morning. Trust me, it's better Even better than the first cup of coffee in the morning. Even if it's from Honduras. We had amazing coffee this morning. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, here are your marching orders, right? You know what has come before. We fasted. We prayed. We worshipped. We sang psalms. And the Lord told us to stand our ground. And so Jehoshaphat reminds them and says, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Here's your work for the day. Believe in the Lord your God, and he shall establish you. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And believe. This this element of faith, this is the victory that overcomes the world, amen? And you know I like to pull the words apart here, right? Believe the Lord your God and you shall be established. We talk about hesed, we talk about the Lord's loving kindness. This word established, the primary meaning of the Hebrew word is that of providing stability and confidence like a baby finds in the arms of his parents. That's that fatherly love. That's that hesed, that covenantal faithfulness. When you believe in the Lord your God, it is taking comfort and rest at his bosom in his arms. We are to show, it's, it's, it's that reflection, that shining when we praise, 
It's that shining back God's glory. Because as he is faithful and trustworthy, we by faith stand trusting and believing, faithfully holding our ground. It says if we believe his word that he will prosper us. This is, this is a word that has meanings like to rush or to break forth, to come mightily. I like this part. It describes the Holy Spirit's effect on a person, making them powerful or causing people to prophesy. It has the sense of a person breaking out and rushing forward in battle. And of God breaking out in acts of judgment. It means to prosper, to succeed, to be victorious. When we believe God, he establishes us. He strengthens our faith. When we believe his word and his prophets, he goes before us. His spirit comes upon us and we have the ability to be completely fearless, right? And stand in front of three invading armies. And picking up at verse 21... And when he had consulted with the people, Jehoshaphat, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness when they went out before the army. And they were to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Their battle song was praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever. This, this praising the Lord is saying thank you. Praising him in thanksgiving. It's like when we come to the Lord's table, right? Known as the Eucharist. It's the giving of thanks. There's all this covenantal language wrapped up here. He appointed those who should sing. I want you to think about this for a minute. You're going to put the singers in front of the armies, right? So you've got the million man army, you've got the singers, and then you've got three armies out here. The faith of the singers is pretty strong at this point, right? Because they are going to be in the crossfire. They are in no man's land, right? You know why it's called no man's land? Because nobody lives there. That's where you go to die. But this singing is, we talked about this before, this is that glad shouting, joyful singing, crying out. It can be um, the sound of a shout or a cry. It can be a cry to the Lord in supplication, a cry of warning or instruction, a cry of joy at the destruction of the wicked. They shout and they 
they shine with their instruments. And what do they sing? His mercy lasts forever. Praise the Lord. His mercy lasts forever. Forever is an interesting word here. It, it says to, to look back and to look forward at the same time. His mercy from beginning to end, right? There's this idea in Psalm 22. You knew I'd get to one of the Psalms, right? There's this idea in, in Psalm 22, and it's translated a couple different ways. Um, but it reads like this. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I am silent, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Some translate it that he inhabits the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not Ashamed, but they were established. So as these singers go forward and they begin to sing, and God inhabits the praises of His people, what begins to happen? Verse 22, look at it. Um, This is back to chapter 20, verse 22. Now when they began to sing and praise... The Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. They got beat by a choir. Right? Now, it's interesting here. Some of the old commentaries say that these... um, Where it says the Lord set ambushes or ambushers... Um, some of the commentaries say these are angels who ambushed the three armies and then caused them to fight amongst themselves. Interesting that the Lord was there. He was inhabiting the praises of his people. For the people of Ammon, verse 23 and 24, for the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked towards the multitude, and there were dead bodies, fallen to the earth. No one. No one had escaped. They came to destroy Judah. And Judah, without lifting a single weapon, gained the victory. All their oppressors, dead, gone. They probably came to plunder, right? They probably knew that Jehoshaphat had done a good job and that he had these store cities and that he had fortresses and that there were weapons available. 
But that's not how it turned out this day. Verse 25 tells us, When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuable on the dead bodies, precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. Three days gathering the spoil. The armies came to plunder Judah, and instead they were plundered. Verses 26 and 27. And on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of the place was called the valley of Baraka until this day. Three days in the valley of death. And the fourth day, blessing. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, with Jehoshaphat in front of them, to go back to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them Rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. That's where they started, right? They gathered and they worshipped. At the end of the battle, they gathered and they worshipped. I love this picture, though, of them coming back from the battle with all their stuff with their instruments blaring, their voices blaring. Remember, we talked about this word rejoice last time I was here. This is, this is a, a gladdening of the heart. We even talked about it being sort of on the intoxicating side, right? It's as the Spirit has moved through you, as you have seen the Lord at work in your midst, it is intoxicating. It is causing you to rejoice. It's causing your buddies to rejoice. It's causing the people around you to rejoice. This is a loud party returning back into Jerusalem to the house of God. Decently in an order, of course, right? But loud and full of joy, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen? So when we think about this worship as warfare... We think about going out into all the world and baptizing and making disciples. We think, well, how does it work as we stand here on Sunday morning and we sing at the top of our lungs? How does that work? How does that, how does that accomplish the Great Commission? But it tells us right here. So this mighty act of God, this wondrous supernatural event, brought on by singing praise to the Lord, destroying the wicked armies that came into their midst. But it says that it caused the fear of God to be on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. They saw God working His mighty acts. They saw the faith of His people. They saw God act on their behalf. Then they saw them prospered and returned in joy and rejoicing. 
Is this how people see us? Do we come into the building with arms locked together and we're singing and we're joyful and there's probably a high five in there somewhere? Do we do that? See, we're all reserved and quiet. And I think we need to be louder. What do you think? I think so. Yes. I, think we, I think we need to be rowdier. Jehoshaphat did a good job here. Amen? He, he was a good king. He had prepared for war, which is right. He did not depend on it, which is also right. He prepared his people for the battle, the spiritual battle, the battle of faith that was before them. He called them to fast. He called them to pray. He called them to worship. He called them to praise the Lord loudly with their voice, and with their instruments. And he, though afraid, saw the Lord act on his behalf. Again, one of the more astonishing stories in all of Scripture from my perspective. And here was that faithful man's reward. Do you see it there in verse 30? Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet. For as God gave him rest all around. Now, lest you think this contradicts what I was saying, for then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, it means without war. It means without conflict. Because if I'm Jehoshaphat, I'm calling the band back together, right? A couple times a week, and I want to hear those songs again. Play them again, play them again, play them again, right? And God gave him rest. Anybody looking forward to rest? I'm looking forward to rest. This idea of rest is receiving satisfaction in one's spirit. When God's spirit confirms with your spirit that you're really his child, just like with Jehoshaphat here. It's a calming rest. It is the blessing of rest. It is pictured as coming down and settling upon a man or a man in his household. It's a good rest. What are we supposed to do on the Sabbath day? Rest. Who do we rest in? The Lord, who's gone before us. And has defeated all his enemies and our enemies as well. The victory has already been accomplished, amen? Amen. So, how do we remember Hesed? How do we remember his mercy? Okay? The Lord is actually gracious to us to bring us trouble. Just like he did for Jehoshaphat, right? Again, we're not told why those armies came. Um, I've thrown out some Robert Hawker out on Slack, and he uses this phrase that I really like, that the Lord exercises us 
so that we can strengthen our faith, right? You think like exercise, and it builds our strength, or it builds our faith. So that's exactly what happens here, right? The trouble comes, we become afraid, we remember that the Lord is merciful. He is faithful. He brings us these events to build our faith. But if you work down through the list of what happened here, the trouble brings fear. We should stop and consider to see if it's us, if it is our sin bringing on the trouble. It may be that we need to repent. It may be that the Lord is being gracious and exercising us. We then assemble together every week or more. We come together as God's people seeking His help. And we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and then we pray some more. And we wait for the Spirit to move. We humbly receive the word of the Lord. We believe it the best we can. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. And because the Spirit moves and the word comes, we fall on our faces and we worship the Lord And then we raise our hands and our voices and our instruments and we praise. Loudly, we praise. And we believe. And we believe. And we believe. And in believing, we know and we trust that we are in the Father's arms. And then we have, that, we have that one main job, right? We stand fast by faith in the righteousness of Christ. That's where we root. In the righteousness of Christ. We stand fast dressed in his complete armor, right? That, clo- that uh, robe of righteousness. And we praise his everlasting covenantal faithfulness. As you're standing fast and as you're praising, see your enemies defeated. See the Lord's enemy defeated. Know that we get houses and vineyards that we didn't build and we didn't plant. We will plunder them. And we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of the Lord's glory. That's when we get to be rowdy. That's the fun part, right? And we praise. And in praising, we see the nations submitting to our Lord. And then we rest. We rest in the blessings. Jehoshaphat had a time where he rested through the end of his life. For us, it's a little more of a cycle right now that we we work through this process. We rest in the blessings and trouble comes again, right? Praise the Lord for the exercise. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful uh, for your word and your spirit this morning. We are thankful that 
you send them to us by your free grace. That in your mercy, in your providential care, in your fatherly love for us as your people, you have given us many gifts. You've given us faith. You've given us new hearts. You've indwelt us by your spirit. You speak your words into our ears and into our hearts. You encourage us in our faith. You tell us that our labor is not in vain. You tell us that our faith is the victory that overcomes the world. You tell us that you are ruling and reigning until you defeat all your enemies. You tell us that even death has been defeated. And as those who have been raised from death to life, we ask that you will put the words of praise upon our lips upon our tongues, upon our hearts, upon our instruments, that all the world will know and hear us rejoice in your goodness towards us. Lord, thank you for your son. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your comforting spirit. Thank you for your fatherly love. In Jesus' name. Amen.